Uh, so now we'll get to hear from Bill Shy as he presents her the children's uh, sermon um, and uh, explains to all of us a little bit more about lament. Hey everyone, this is my friend Tobor, and as you can see, he's a robot. Tobar, get ball. Thank you. Now, Tobar is really good at doing what I tell him to do, but he really doesn't know how I feel or even how to love me as a friend. Did you know that the word robot means something like slave worker? Well, the Bible says that God created us He made us in his own image, and he gave us the freedom and authority to create and care for the whole earth. You see, we have a creative mind and an ability to make choices for ourselves that robots simply don't have. Aren't you glad that God did not make us like robots? Well, there's some good news and some bad news about God creating us with this freedom. In our Bible passage today from Psalm 10, We read a lot about the pain and suffering that people can experience when others choose to use their freedom to disobey God. In fact, some people behave so badly that the Bible calls them wicked. These wicked people are like the worst bullies, always picking on innocent people. They even proudly say that God doesn't exist, or if he does, he will never see the bad things they do. Because of wicked people, person who wrote this psalm is crying out to God, saying, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you ever felt sad or hurt, perhaps, from being bullied? Have you ever wondered why it takes God so long to make things better that are wrong or broken or scary? The Bible calls these bad behaviors injustices. And God hates it when innocent people are bullied or oppressed. God hates injustice. So then why does it take God so long sometimes to fix things that are bad? To know this, we need to learn more about what the Bible says God is like. I'll be using some pictures from the BibleProject.com website to tell my story today. Do you remember the story from Exodus when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God? Well, in that story, God told Moses that he is a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. This is in addition to God being holy or pure, righteous or really good, and just or treating all people equally. To answer our question, we need to learn what God means when he describes himself as slow to anger. Have you ever seen someone when they are really angry? I mean, so angry that their face turns red? Well, the Hebrew words for someone with burning anger describe that person as having a hot nose. Now, if you're a person that is patient and wise, then you are most likely a person who is slow to anger. And in Hebrew, you would be described as someone who is long in the nose because it would take a while for it to get red with anger. The Bible tells us that God gets angry when he sees humans treating each other badly because they are ruining the world that he created when he empowered that he empowered them to take care of. So what so good about God's slow anger? 
If you remember the story of God sending Moses to Pharaoh, asking him to let God's people go and be free from slavery, then you probably remember that God gave Pharaoh 10 chances and sent 10 plagues or punishments when Pharaoh refused. But Pharaoh kept saying no. And finally, Pharaoh did agree to let them go. But then he changed his mind and tried to kill Moses and all the people by chasing them across the waters that God has miraculously parted. But then God let Pharaoh's own evil be turned back upon him. And God let those waters fall on all of Pharaoh's army until they were gone. The Bible says that God's anger burned against Pharaoh for his evil deeds and his stubborn heart. That may sound kind of harsh, but if you think about it, God wouldn't be truly good if he let injustice and bullying go unpunished forever. And you know what? God's goodness even has him become angry with his own people when they behave badly. Soon after God freed the Israelites from Pharaoh's slavery, and while Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the Israelites betrayed God by making an animal-like statue to become the God they would worship. In fact, for many years after that, the Israelites continued to reject the true God who freed them from slavery by choosing to worship the false gods of the people that lived around them. Does that sound right to you? Were those Israelites behaving justly? Well, the Bible tells us again that God let his slow and just anger finally be upon his own people by allowing them to be captured and enslaved by those people whose gods they chose to serve. God punished his people by giving them what they were living for, even though it was not good for them. That's what happens when we choose to reject God and when we want our own way instead. The Bible calls that sin. In God's goodness and patience, he will often let us experience the consequences of our sinful actions as a means of hopefully turning our hearts back to him when we realize our mistakes. God's anger is a right response to human evil, and it's based on his deeper character traits of compassion and his loyal love. Through Jesus, we see even more clearly that God is on a mission to rescue us, the people of his creation, from our selfish ways and from our own self-destruction. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see how God's anger at evil, wickedness, and injustice, and how God's great love for people come together in a painful, costly way. The innocent Jesus was put to death by sinful people like us so that God could justly punish sin and free us from the power of sin. You see, when God gets angry, it's because he is good and extremely patient, working out his plan from the beginning of creation to restore people to his perfect love for all. That's what we mean when we say that God is slow to anger. Isn't that good news? Thanks, Bill, uh, for, for that, really that, that picture you know, of this, this story of God's uh, overarching leading us in a way that is ultimately just. Uh, and we see that picture as it's lived out in the people of Israel. Um, and, but the, the question is, for us today, knowing God, yes, we know God has justice in place for the fullness of creation. 
and we look forward to that day and we see how it's lived out with, with Israel. But, you know, they were for hundreds of years enslaved by Pharaoh and they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So the, the question that I'm going to focus on, and I think that the lament helps us to focus on is how do we live in that space? How do we live in the space where we are surrounded by injustice or we are victims of injustice? We, we know God started it, God's in the middle of it, and God's in the end of it. We know that's the picture, but how do we live in it? We, we saw an example of how not to live in it this week. We, we've seen positive and negative examples of how, how to live in the midst of injustice throughout this year. Today, we'll look at the necessary response that Christians are to make in the face of injustice. How do those who are committed to following Jesus, knowing that God loves justice that we looked at last week, knowing that he hates injustice, how do we live in the the midst of a complex world affirming God's justice at all times? Like what we talked about last week. How do we live affirming human equity, human value, human flourishing? Knowing that that that's the picture that the scriptures give us of God's justice. How do we live in that? Again, knowing the whole story, how do we live in the midst of the chaos in that way? Uh, for for um, those that join with us today who aren't Christians, glad you're here. You're, you're just sort of seeking. You're just wondering about Jesus. Um, glad that you're here today. But today I'm really going to be talking to um, followers of Jesus, how they live into injustice. And I hope you hope that gives you a really good picture of who God is and who Jesus is and what we as the church of Jesus Christ are trying to live. And if you're interested, if you're interested in pursuing that same way and in accessing that understanding of justice, love to, to talk to you um, at the conclusion of the, the, the service. You can always go to chpc.org slash connect. And just connect with us. And if you, you've got a, a question, you've got a, um, a con- wonder about what it means to follow Jesus in the time of injustice, invite you uh, there as well. But as what uh, we, we, we know that in, in our lives that God does allow injustice to occur. As Bill just beautifully stated, because of our disobedience, God allows injustice to occur. But when we're in the midst of that, We're left wondering why. You know, where are you, God, in the midst of this? It's a great question, and that's the cry of the psalmist in our passage today in Psalm 10, which is one of many psalms of lament. Forty percent of the psalms are lament. The other, other 60 or so are in the realm of praise. The other 60%. So that's 60 of the Psalms are lament and 90 then of the 150 are praise. So six to nine is the ratio. That's not the, the ratio that we usually keep in our lives. That, that's not the ratio for the American Christian church. We don't really focus much on the Psalms of Lament, even though it's 40% of the biblical book of prayer. 
You go through any hymnal or songbook. The songs of praise are going to be 90 to 95% instead of 60. And I think that that speaks to our aversion to pain. To our aversion to sitting in the injustice that is in the world around us. Natural response. I don't like it either. That's why I take warm showers instead of cold ones. Uh, it, we just have a natural aversion. But in so doing, you know, we, we can spiritualize and say, well, no, let's just praise the Lord. No, don't get me wrong. Praising the Lord is good. That's 60% of the Psalms. Yes, let's praise the Lord. And it, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. But not let's just praise the Lord. That's, that's unbiblical. That is incomplete of the biblical witness. No, there are times that it is right and necessary for us as Jesus followers to cry out to God, what are you doing? And to ask God, what's going on? To ask God, are you awake? I mean, those are some of the words that we see in the Psalms of lament. I got bad news for you. You're not just. Either am I just. You're not good. Either am I. There is no human that is good, nor any human system that is good. Only God alone is good. That's what Jesus told us. So there's plenty of ways for us to recognize our brokenness, the sin of our world, the injustice that is around us that we do and that we receive and to cry out to God in lament. Also, to, to... just praise the Lord is not the way of Jesus. For, for Jesus entered into the pain of the world. You know, the, the, the Christmas that we just celebrated and marvelously wonderful in awe and wonder of the, the, the creator becoming part of creation, God becoming a helpless baby in a manger. But we know that that manger leads to the cross. And the cross is where God enters into the pain. God does not. God doesn't stand afar off and just give advice. No, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. He doesn't stand far off as a critic. Nope, you blew it there. You know, wrong decision. Nor a cynic. Oh, well, I give up. You're never going to get it. That's not the way of God. No, God, what God enters into the pain of the world. And he faces the grandest work of injustice. The the innocent one, the creator, the one who is life, who is love, is the one who's then crucified, murdered, assassinated, nails in his hands and feet on the cross. And what does he do at that moment? Does he just praise the Lord? No. He quotes a prayer of lament. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is his cry in the fullness of his humanity and divinity at the pinnacle or at the valley of the greatest act of injustice. Purely innocent suffering. 
See, these are the things that I know about injustice. I know, one, that God enters it. That Jesus is in the middle of it. That Jesus didn't avoid it. Matter of fact, he went right to it purposefully, strategically, in all the way to face injustice. So I know wherever there is injustice, Jesus is in the middle of it. So if I'm in it, I better be listening for him. If others are in it, I better be looking for him by hearing them lament. Because Jesus is there. That's one of the places that he is there profoundly. And the other thing I know is that he did not stay in the grave. That he, he was raised from the dead. That in his death, he took on the injustice, the pain, the evil of the world. And in the power of his resurrection, he trumpeted and danced and celebrated the victory of God over death and evil and injustice. So, so I know it as Bill outlined the story. I know that story is real for all of us that one day all will be made right and just. And that is my sure and certain hope that is latched on to Jesus in the power of the resurrection. In the midst of whatever evil and death and justice and pain in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know and we know that God wins. So Jesus is the one who gives us direction on how we handle the pain, the helplessness, the terror that we can encounter, that others can encounter in our world as we face injustice. He cries out in lament, and so must we. So our passage today is in Psalm chapter uh, 10. And, and we'll, we'll read the, the whole psalm. It's a rather, rather long, but I think it flows well and we need to just hear the, the whole of this prayer of, uh, of lament. Um, uh, before we do, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, again, we give you thanks for your written word. Now, speak to us uh, through your word. Uh, teach us and lead us and, and guide us and form us. So that we might truly be what we prayed just a moment ago. We might be the the shining expression of Jesus, even in the face of injustice. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm, Psalm 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance... The wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. 
He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The the, the first thing to to catch from this prayer of lament, and and that it's present in every uh, prayer of lament, is that one, it's a prayer. they're, They're talking to God. To to note that no matter what the anger you might be facing, the deepest rage of helplessness, of of total um, hopelessness, cry out to God. I mean, lament is for the helpless. I mean, think about in the days that these were written. You know, these were written in long before things like freedom of speech. Long before things like checks and balances. Long before the possibility of peaceful protests. I mean, you just didn't protest the emperor or the king. Or you didn't do it lightly because it got your head cut off. You know, it it got your taxes raised the next day. It, It got your businesses burned or your houses burned or your whole villages burned by the army. And this is for the helpless. These are for those who have, they, they cry out to God because they are in the position that we're always in. The one we always must turn to is to God for our help and strength. I mean, uh, for, for me, one of the greatest examples of, of this is, is the civil rights movement led by a number of Christian pastors. Uh, one of the, the heads was, you know, Dr. King, whose uh, birthday we'll celebrate next weekend, but just remember the, the, the story of him being in his kitchen at 2 o'clock in the morning after receiving another bone-chilling phone call about a bomb being in his house or uh, uh, people coming with fire to destroy his house, to burn him, his wife, and his children. And he receives that call in the middle of the, the night and he cries out to God in a lament. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. 
But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I am afraid. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I can't face it alone. When we're facing evil, when we face injustice, we feel that sense of of helplessness. Don't stop talking to God. Don't stop trusting in God. Don't stop submitting to God. But don't play religious with God. The writer of the psalmist didn't. I mean, did you catch it in there? God, go break his arm. And in another psalm of lament, it's much more vicious than that. The psalmist says to God, take their babies and throw them against the rocks. Be real with God. I mean, the the psalmists are, don't, don't, and, and you're submitting to God. You're not trying to use God for your purposes. You're trying to submit your way in the midst of helplessness, in the midst of lostness to say, God, you got to take over. I want to submit to you. I don't want to give up or I don't want to take things in my own hands. I want to submit to you. But this is how I feel. This is my anger. This is my fear. But you you have to go to God. Don't let the evil take you in. That's the grandest temptation in the midst of helplessness. You're going to turn to evil. And the the scriptures are clear from the Proverbs to to Jesus to Paul and end of Romans to the first letter that Peter writes. Do not return evil with evil. Don't let evil trick you. Always act in ways that are good, in ways that are loving. Do not pursue justice in ways that are unjust. Don't don't let the pursuit of what is good lead you down a path of somehow saying, you know, not all humans are equal. Not all humans have value. Not all humans should flourish, especially the ones that scare me or that I disagree with so blatantly. Because their value is not determined by whether or not you agree with them or not, or whether or not I agree with them or not, or whether or not I call them names, or think figure out how in the world did they get in this, but who gave them the mic? Their value is not determined. By that, it is determined, as we talked about last week, by being created in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean we dis- we agree and we let things go laissez-faire. No, injustice is to be opposed. But the devil wins if we succumb to anger and hatred. If we take matters in our own hands instead of submitting to the ways of God. I'm, I'm always amazed and inspired, as, as I, I mentioned, by those who, who face evil directly and continue to follow God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, the missionaries in, with the um, uh, Wadani people in, in Ecuador, uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and them, who faced evil, but they stayed true uh, to God. And in their families uh, um, uh, uh, afterwards. Uh, again, think back to the, the civil rights movement and their commitment as followers of Jesus to nonviolence and civil disobedience. 
I mean, in nonviolence, they were trained and trained to respond to injustice with justice. They to, to respond with hate with love. When they were demeaned or destroyed, they refused to demean or demonize the other. They were always kept before them before God and they helped one another do it to say, no, the people who have fire hoses and dogs and fires and burns and hoods on, they are human beings created in the image of God who are lost and broken, but they're still human beings. We, we cannot pursue justice in ways that are unjust. And then, then there are acts in, in civil disobedience where what they proposed, what they were committed to doing was breaking unjust laws, but following every just law. So if a law transcended the, the justice of God, if a law said you're unequal, Because if the color of your skin determines if you can sit in this chair or not. The color of your skin determines if you can swim in this pool or not. The color of your skin determines if you can buy a house in this neighborhood or not. Those are unjust. That is not human equity. That is not human value. That is not human flourishing. So they broke those laws. They went and sat at that counter. They went and swam at that pool. They went and bought a house in that neighborhood. And then they suffered the consequences of the justice system. And they went to jail. And they went to court. And they fought it over and over and over. Sometimes it can take, as Bill told us, 400 years, sometimes 40 But those that follow Jesus refuse to succumb to evil to accomplish good, refuse to succumb to injustice in order to accomplish justice. That's why the lament in the midst of our helplessness, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our being out of control, we keep talking to God. What are you doing, God? Why did you let this happen? Again, boldly and honestly, they're talking to God. Again, lists with detail their honest feelings toward the oppressor and towards God and about the injustice that they faced. I just want to bring out from this just a little bit of what they bring out too, that what causes people to move towards injustice is what they describe there. They're arrogant. They're greedy. They think they're God. They think God doesn't care. They think God doesn't see this. They may not say it regularly. It says they say in their heart. They say in their heart, God's not doing what God's supposed to be doing. God doesn't care about this, so I can do what I want freely. But there's an arrogance. Uh, You see it particularly uh, in uh, verse 6, where those that are committing injustice says in their heart, I shall not be moved Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. That's, that's them taking God's place. And that's what can happen when we lose patience. Again, what Bill talked about, the patience of God. When we lose patience, we can take matters in our own hands instead of leaving them in God's.
Now, some of you may be thinking, well, isn't though a lament a way to avoid action? Can we just sort of stay in our prayer room and avoid action? No, that's not what lament is. It's a way to rightly prepare our heart and soul and body for action if it's possible. Like I said, for many of the people in lament, it, it wasn't possible. In, in our day and age, it's very, and in our context, it's very frequently possible. That doesn't mean we don't need to start with lament. Before then we take action. And again, the example of civil disobedience is a perfect example of a, well, it's a messy example of a way of a people who are following Jesus trying to pursue justice in a way that is just. Try to pursue God's justice in a way that honors God. The, the other, other thing about then lament for us is we also need to listen to the laments of others. Even if their lament is unjust. Even if they ex- express their lament in ways that are unjust. Don't, don't let their wrong, wicked, evil actions stop you from hearing their pain. Jesus didn't. He enters into the pain and struggle of the world, even in a broken, wicked world. They're all human beings, whether they're storming the capital or whether they're looting the store down the street, or causing arson on city blocks, or the rest. They're, they're still human beings, whether it's in D.C., Minneapolis, Louisville, Kenosha. And again, in many situations, there are great examples of peaceful protests, of ways that people are pursuing justice in a way that is just. And we can't let those, no matter what side of the aisle we might be, no matter which humans we want to demonize, we can say what they are doing is wrong, their ideas are totally wrong, I totally disagree with all of them, but I still must listen to their cries. If nothing more to understand than to say, I disagree. And it's, it's the case across the board in all kinds of injustice in our world, not just in political issues. Uh, um, Brian Stevenson, an attorney, um, uh, wrote the book Just Mercy. And maybe you've seen the movie Just Mercy. He's a great example of that. And what he, he calls us to, he, he calls us to, based on the incarnation, uh, he, he says well, what Christians need to do is put themselves in proximity to injustice. So that we hear it. So that we humanize the people that are crying out. And again, uh, and what he did, uh, he did that on death row in Montgomery, Alabama. He just went to be with people in death row and to talk to them. And, and he, he found out through his work, now his life work, 30% of people on death row, uh, he surmised were there unjustly. Some of whom, now we have stories, who were totally proven innocent. They were on their way to the death chamber and because of his proximity in hearing their cries, realized they are innocent. And led to justice. But he he did so in a way that was just and right. 
Again, we give thanks and praise that we're in a system. That, that we can be in proximity to those that are lamenting and hear their lament and act in ways that are justice, that are just and, and knowing it might take time, but that's what we're pursuing. So remember to listen. And maybe, maybe this week particularly, just take a time, take a, what we uh, uh, might call a pilgrimage where you go to a place. It might be through a book. It might be through a movie. Or it might be visiting the Underground Railroad Museum or uh, going to, to, to Ripley and, and visiting the, the, the places of, of uh, John Parker um, and uh, the the... Folks in Ripley that, that fought for uh, abolition. Maybe it's there. You put yourselves some way in the proximity to injustice to listen. Hear those cries that are around us. So we remember... Remember through lament that we always cry out to God. Remember to listen to the laments of others. And finally, as the the psalmist ends, and as almost every lament ends, it, it brings us ultimately to hope. Always come back to the power of God in the resurrection. That God makes a way out of no way. He brings death out of life. He brings hope to the hopeless. Lament keeps us focused on God, reminding us, even in our helplessness and in the midst of such terror, that God wins over every injustice. A day will come when all injustice will ultimately be destroyed. And only that which is just will remain. The lament helps us keep our focus on God, especially when we're in the middle of the storm. Let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, uh, we, we give you thanks for your word that that speaks to us in real-life situations that we face and address. We give you uh, all praise and honor. And we we lift up our nation to you. We, We pray for our leaders. We pray for our current president. And we pray for our president-elect. And we pray that there will be a peaceful transfer of power. We pray that you will bring healing. You will bring reconciliation. You will bring your truth to bear. That we will pursue what is good and right and just in ways that are good and right and just. Uh, we, uh, we ask uh, your um, hand as well uh, upon us as a church and uh, us individually in our own situations and, and challenges and, and struggles that you will help us to, to keep our eyes upon you. In the the midst of uh, the struggles and evil and uh, illness that goes on around us, Lord, we we pray for your hand um, uh, upon uh, um, uh, those in in need of your healing touch. And that uh, 
real sense of your peace and hope. We pray particularly for Rick Schott's family and the, the death of Rick Schott's and uh, for uh, Sharon, his wife, her uh, family and friends. Um, Lord, we thank you that he is with you and we uh, pray for that sense of peace and comfort and sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Lord, we lift up those in, in need this, this week for your continued healing hand, for those having surgery or procedures. Uh, we thank you for Mary Bodmer's um, uh, turn uh, towards, towards health. We, we praise you for your hand of provision for her. We pray for Catherine Brockfield, who has a procedure this week. We, um, and others, uh, Lord, in, in need of your healing hand, we lift them before you. And we lift all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.